Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. I'm Imad Akhtar. Let's take a quick trip down memory lane as we kick off the new year here in Singapore. From blood-soaked streets to a shining red dot, many would agree that Singapore's transformation has been nothing short of remarkable. But what made the world pay attention to a tiny island nation which neither produces the resources that the world needs nor the conflicts that the world fears? As some analysts might describe, it was sheer grit of tenacious leaders who helped the little red dot carve out space and earn mindshare on the global stage. Speaking of leaders, all eyes are cast on an imminent leadership transition where Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong is expected to take over the reins from Prime Minister Lee Hsien Lung ahead of the next general election, which has to be held by November 2025. For more insights, we're joined by Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law from the Yangpeng Hao School of Law at Singapore Management University. Eugene, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Imad. I'm good. Let's start things here with PM Lee and what he has said. He will be handing over the leadership to DPM Wong by November 2024, if all goes well. Now, could you give us a sense of what the process might be like based on how leadership transitions have taken place here historically? Yeah, well, I tend to look at every leadership renewal as uh, being unique. Uh, And so in that sense, while the past can serve as some form of guide, I wouldn't look at the past as being determinative. But just going by the past, I mean, you know, the question of when will DPM Lawrence Wong take over, right? And, and so the question is, you know, will he do it in the course of a parliamentary term? That means, you know, before a general election or will he do so after a general election? To me, that's um, one question. I mean, we do know that Mr. Wong is likely to take over as the ruling party's uh, Secretary General uh, by the end of this year. But the question still remains as to when uh, he will succeed uh, Prime Minister Lee Sen Loong as Prime Minister. And, and so that raises the question of whether the handover will be in phases, right? So meaning, uh, if we look at the past, you know, the Prime Ministership was handed over first before the party leadership. And so, again, this is a question that I think we will find out more in the course of this year. Yeah. All right. Now, I know you said the past is not determinative necessarily, but let's look back on history for a bit of context. What were the key changes you observed on Singapore's leadership front from 1G to 4G? Well, I think there is a consistency, you know, by which I mean, you know, you have changed uh, amid continuity. But regardless of whether you're talking about 1G or 4G, I mean, you know, some of the changes would include leadership having to be a lot more consultative. And I think we will see that going forward, you know, with 4G leadership. One of the changes one could say would be that the landscape has become a lot more competitive uh, politically. Um, the PAP is perhaps less dominant today than it was, uh, let's say, during the time of uh, Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew. You know, in the 70s and in a good part of the 80s, you know, elections were more about how big, you know, the PAP would win. But I think now the PAP cannot take for granted that they would win and they would form the government. You know, so, so I think that in that sense, you know, politics has become a lot more competitive. Mm. But if we if we talk about continuity, I think you know there would be things like that. Recruitment has become a lot tougher. I, I think the drive, the motivation for people to enter politics is perhaps not as strong when we look at those on the part of the ruling party. 
Uh, and finally, you know, if, if we think about the 4G today uh, compared with previous leadership transition, I think the 4G a lot is about the whole team, the whole 4G team, you know, rather than about any one particular standout individual. Uh, and I think in some respects, you know, the 2G and 3G, were, there were also very much hints of that as well. But I think uh, when we talk about the 4G, that team concept uh, is a lot stronger. All right. Now, we know our pioneer batch of leaders were held in high esteem on the global stage. What would you say is the key behind how these leaders earn their seat uh, globally? I think this is a perennial question for Singapore leaders and something which I think Singaporeans tend to take for granted. But as to how we earn our place in, in a community of nations, I think being successful as a country of utmost importance. Um, I, I think, you, you know, at, at the top of the program, you know, you mentioned, you know, that this was a place where, you know, we didn't really provide the world with anything that they needed right. know, and, 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 and conflicts that they didn't see it. But so I think, you know, being successful economically, being politically stable, playing our part in the international arena, I think these are three important attributes because what it does really is to ensure that we remain relevant to the world. You know, so in that sense, the pioneer leaders and, and, and leaders after that made sure that size need not be destiny. But that also means our part, you know, being committed to a rules-based international order. And in a way, we don't, we don't have a choice because we are so dependent on, on the world for our living. And that, that in turn you know, entails taking a principled approach to international relations, foreign policy. And that also means Singapore having to be, a, to be friends with all, you know, regardless of the little ideology. So if you look through our history, you know, even though we were part of the non-aligned movement in, for a good part of our history, um, you know, we were friends, you know, regardless of whether you were part of the communist world, whether you are part of the capitalist world. And I think that's something which we have to uh, bear in mind you know, that being friends to all, uh, so long as it is in our national interest, is of vital importance to us. All right, let's fast forward to the modern day. Now, Singapore, as well as the rest of the world, went through quite a fair bit in the past few years. We had the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, geopolitical uncertainties, which are continuing to this day, uh, inflation as well being another key headwind. In the face of these challenges, what kind of leadership do you think the people are looking for now as compared to before? You know, in, in many senses, you know, the, the what people look out for in, in the leadership Singapore probably hasn't changed. I, I think there is still that demand, you know, that desire for decisive leadership, um, you know, because we have to make decisions pretty much on the go. You know, we have to look ahead. But even as we expect the leadership to be decisive, think and plan long term, I think there is still that wish, the desire for a more consultative leadership. And, and I think we see government of Singapore, you know, responding to that. Um, I think as, as Singaporeans begin to take a greater interest in what's happening around them and as nation building progresses, I think there is also, you know, the expectation that, that the leadership takes Singaporeans into their confidence, you know, and so that means explaining things, why things are done a certain way and, and, and not taking it for granted, you know, mm. that people are just going to accept, you know, whatever uh, the leadership plans, you know, never mind if it's all done uh, with good intentions. Um, and I think there is also that desire for pragmatic yet principled leadership. And, and what I mean by that, I mean it means you know, adopting policies that work, you know, rather than taking an ideological bend. But it also means you know having a backbone, right? You know, 
So if, if we think that this is what is needed to mm. uh, keep Singapore united, um, you know, such as multiracialism, then we need to take that principle in everything that we do. Um, so I think if we talk about the changes, you know, I think, you know, that there is perhaps more continuity rather than change because I think the, the limitations, the vulnerabilities of Singapore uh, remain unchanged, you know, whether we're talking about 1965 or today, 2024. Speaking of continuity, let's touch on Forward Singapore, an initiative that the government seems to be uh, going full steam ahead with. Do you think that could be a soft launch of what might be the PAP's manifesto come the next elections? And does that fully reflect what the people's needs and wants are? I, I think it's certainly going to form a very key part of the political agenda you know, for the next couple of years, if not the next decade. And, and, and that's what Singapore exercise is very much about refreshing Singapore's social compact. And I think you know, a good indicator would be the upcoming budget statement mm. uh, in February this year, where we can expect you know, the government to allocate funds you know, for the seven policy shifts that they have announced last year, and to also put in place uh, policy changes I would say that, yes, you know, the Ford SG is going to be a key part of the People's Action Party agenda um, because I think it's important to preserve that broad middle ground in Singapore politics because that ensures that, uh, you know, politics in Singapore remains purposeful. It doesn't swing to the extremes. But I think, you know, having decided that the Ford SG is something that Singapore needed and having the extensive consultation, I think there still remains the need to engage people in the policy shifts that are needed. And so this is where, you know, it becomes important for the political leadership to be able to demonstrate why, you know, as we work towards a fairer society, why is it that that will actually benefit us even longer, even more in the long run? Because we must remember, this policy shifts, you know, there could be losers, if I could put it a bit bluntly. Right. Uh, people who benefited from the current system, you know, and, and any change, you know, could put them at a, at a disadvantage. Uh, I think we need to get everybody on board, you know. And so uh, beyond being just an election manifesto, I think it's really, it has to become a movement, something that we all as a society believe is necessary moving forward. All right. Before I let you go, Eugene, here's a million dollar question for you. How soon do you think the next general election might be called? <laughs> well, I think it's it's going to be soon, right? Even though I would say that your guess is as good as mine. Um, but the current term of parliament ends in August 2025. And, right. and the constitution provides for uh, the election must be held no, no later than three months after that. That's why we have the November 2025 deadline. I think there are three windows as I look at it. You know, One is after... Uh, this year's budget, um, you know, and that could be a case where the budget is well received, policy changes that are needed uh, resonate very deeply with the people, and, and I think the People's Action Party may take it that well. You know, this is a good time to get that mandate again. You know, to push forward, forward with the uh, forward SG changes. Um, the other could be, um, you know, three to six months, uh, you know, of the handover of power from Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong to Deputy Prime Minister uh, Lawrence Wong. So that puts us, you know, something like the last quarter of 2024, the first quarter of 2025. And the third window, uh, you know, which I think is the last window, would be shortly after budget 2025, you know. So, so we're looking at, you know, in my view, you know, we are within 12 to 15 months um, you know, of the next general election. You know, but let me just conclude by just saying that, you know, all this takes place against the context of much global uncertainty. Uh, you know, so if, if there is a global security threat, if there's a severe economic downturn, all this could 
change the calculations as to when a general election will be called. But, but I think, you know, we are, if I could put it this way, you know, I, I think the election drums have started beating. All right, Eugene, thank you so much. Uh, that was Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law from the Yongpeng House School of Law at Singapore Management University. Appreciate your time and Happy New Year. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.